0: Hello and welcome to the very first monthly APO podcast. I say monthly because we have done podcasts in the past around uh, programme notes for specific pieces and so on, but this is going to be a new monthly podcast with all the latest APO news and a chance to chat with APO members about their passion for music. So later in this podcast, we'll be talking to composer Derry Lewis about his new lockdown commissions for APO. But joining me live, as it were, We've got two APO members, two of our APO stalwarts. We've got trumpeter Helen. Hi. And violinist Chico. Hello. So let's just, for people who don't know you, uh, let's help them to understand a little bit more about you. So Helen, you're a valued member of our trumpet section um, and you're indeed a a musicologist. So your sort of day job is as a, a lecturer and somebody who looks at study of music and learns about music and so on, Um, how long have you been in APO?
1: I've been in APO for 15 years Andrew, the first time I came a colleague of mine was uh, playing for APO and invited me to join the section of one of your August repertoire weekends, and basically I never left, I've stayed. <laughs> it's shocking how time flies when you're having fun, I isn't it? I
0: can't believe it's been 15 years, it really does seem like yeah, yesterday. Yeah, it's shocking,
1: it really is. Well, of course, I joined as a trumpeter, and then I've stayed and made lots of noise, and then got involved with every time you do an education event or... Uh, asking you questions in front of an audience for our pre-concert discussions, yeah, so of course, which I have to say is becoming one of my favourite things to, to find the difficult question. Yeah, so
0: <laughs> audience members will be familiar with Helen as, as the chair of our pre-concert panels. Uh, and uh, and actually, I think the last time we did that, or one of the last times we did that, you actually left Chico in a bit of a hole, didn't you?
1: I did, it was excellent. <laughs> well, Chico had said, so in my defense, please don't ask me, and then gave me a topic. And I thought it was a prime to therefore ask Chico because he'd been thinking about it. So, of course, I then asked Absolutely. <laughs> and the answer yeah. was perfect.
0: <laughs> Ch- Chico, you um, you were actually leading for that concert, weren't you? Um, and uh, I think I think she actually made you play some stuff
2: as well. In front of I everybody. did. I did. Yeah, I was, I was. I was. I wasn't leading the entire orchestra. I was uh, principal second for that concert. Oh, okay. Um but 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 yes, it was uh, something a lot scarier than I was expecting to have to do in front of an audience uh, to play all by myself. Oh. So, so yeah, but it was all, good fun all, nonetheless.
0: Not all by yourself by Tony Braxton. That, that is, uh, uh, no, uh,
2: and it's not. That's not Tony Braxton. That's Unbreak My Heart, Andy. Oh, um, so it's maybe we should leave the pop culture references <laughs> to, to, ah. to crews that can handle it a little bit better. Well, Chico, you've you've been uh, a member of APO for...
0: Well, technically, I guess it's longer than Helen. Longer than Helen. It's not really, is it?
2: Well, okay. so um, Andrew and I know each other from years back. We were both at Reading Youth Orchestra together and then uh, studied music at Cardiff University together. So when APO first formed, I played in one of the really early concerts, um, which I think was in... 2003 and it was Roger May's uh, Euphonium Concerto, was, I believe, yeah. which was, that was the, the, the first, first APO Young Composers Commission uh, which was really exciting uh, and then it was also followed by Devor so it was a, a really fun programme <laughs> then did take a little bit of a 15-year break um, until I rejoined APO officially, um, which is when I say I actually joined, um, which was for our January uh, 2018 concert that we did, which was APO Dances, um, which interestingly also had a piece by Roger May in it uh, called Dancing in the Elements, uh, which was a fantastic piece. I absolutely loved it. What a beautiful symmetry. There was... It was yeah, and and that's one of the great things about APO is the amount of new music that we we do, which is very unusual for an amateur orchestra. Um, but that piece in particular, there were four movements um, that were all about uh, dance. That kind of kind of formed this um, concept of dance. But the second movement of that uh, ripple was something that was absolutely beautiful. Just the effects that that Roger really. Um, carefully created through the orchestration and through the texture was was such a fun little piece Highlights like to be able to listen back to to Ripple once we'd recorded the concert. We also played the
0: the dance on number two by uh, Marquez, which is made very famous by Gustavo Dudamel. One of my favourite Simón Bolivar Youth yeah, that's Orchestra. That's um, And then in the second half we had, I think possibly the most, certainly from a conducting perspective the most difficult piece, um we've done, uh, and certainly from the orchestra perspective right up there as well so that was the Rachmaninoff symphonic dances uh, they are absolutely rock hard
3: <laughs>
0: so Helen we, we talked a little bit about your your day job um as a musicologist and an academic but you also have a, a kind of passion for sharing music with a, as wide an audience as possible which fits right in with APO's yeah. philosophy and you yeah. are actually a radio presenter as well aren't you
1: I do. I'm presenting two shows on hospital radio. So I present for Radio Way, which goes out to Ashford and St. Peter's Hospital and then a series of care homes and elderly care homes in the region. Um, I do that partly for similar reasons why I love APO so much. engaging with a wider audience and debunking the myth that classical music's elitist. I don't believe that whatsoever. I think it can be open to absolutely anybody. So yeah, my radio show looks at any music written for orchestral instruments, whether that is music for video games, film, concert hall, opera, ballet, you name it. Uh, And I have a two hour show goes out on a Sunday afternoon to the hospitals and then that's repeated on a Tuesday evening. But then I also do an audio book which is interspersed with classical pieces. So the first series I did was all the Sherlock Holmes stories I've got Sherlock Holmes plays the violin. So every time a story had a particular issue or a topic, I'd select a violin piece in the middle that would uh, fit with that. Then I did some Winnie the Pooh stories, particularly for the children's wards, and used music from children's films, Interspersed. And now I'm about a third the way through Edith Wharton's The Age of Innocence, which of course represents the American social life around the opera house in the 1870s. So I'm interspersing music from about 1860 to 1880 around that to talk about how the orchestral language changed. It's actually paralleling the story and the dialogue of how you discuss and have meaning without words. But no, everything I do as a musicologist really is about how does music express a meaning whether that's an emotional meaning, whether that's a political meaning, or what have you, to its audience. How how do we communicate in a non-verbal fashion?
0: And that sounds like such a fascinating way of compiling programmes together. Again, very much in line with the way that we try to think about what we put on at APO. Are you doing all that from home at the moment?
1: Yeah, I'm recording at home, so I've got a compressor microphone and the speaker set up. Um, And obviously being at home and not in my work office, I've actually used an open source software because obviously finances as they are, you can't just suddenly buy everything brand new because of lockdown. So I've had to learn some new software to do it. Um, And I produce, I usually try and get one show recorded a week and I'm recording about eight weeks ahead. There's a couple of presenters still going out live, but it's very difficult to get the... um, hospital links up because we have to link up to the unit that's actually at the hospital it's in the old second world war uh, phone exchange at st peter's
2: that does actually remind me uh, the way you're talking about having to connect up to the phone exchange um, one of my previous roles i was a technical producer um, at a national classical radio station um, and i remember on my second week on my own um, i was presenting i think the chart show and Uh, My presenter wasn't in the studio with me, but he was uh, in um, his uh, second home in Yorkshire, where he'd had a full uh, studio fitted out into one of the rooms that was noise-proof and everything. And I was panicking because I had to connect up via an ISDN line and and technical things I really didn't know anything about. Um, And it was a new computerized software for me in terms of playing everything out. We were going really, really well uh, on the chart show And then there was a moment where I had somehow deleted from the automatic scheduler system uh, number seven in the chart. So there was like basically, but I had no way of telling my presenter because he was already midway through um, the, the announcements of it. So he kind of ended up the announcements of, and now track number seven in the chart is. And I just froze and I pressed play and then on I just cringed six, on number 6 and then I cringed a bit and I was like oh I don't know what to do and he was like hang on that's not the right piece is it and I was like no I'm really sorry I somehow deleted it he was like don't worry run to the library get the cd and then we'll play it out and we'll just explain the error yeah. and I ran to the library thankfully it was a piece that had like about 4 or 5 minutes play time found the cd grabbed it back looked at my phone i had a text message saying turn my microphone off so he'd been talking over track number six um telling everyone across the country uh, what had gone wrong but it sounded like he was a bit of a lunatic having a conversation with himself because my mic in the studio wasn't on so he was just talking at me um on top of i think it was Catherine oh jenkins god. and managed to get 750 emails in the space of 30 seconds
1: oh my Oops. god there lies why i prefer to pre-record wow that's exactly Mm.
0: i i I think i'm gonna have anxiety dreams
2: about that tonight that's just (laughs) i did i did it for for many a week many a week yeah it was not the right job environment for me
1: so basically for a first (laughs) monthly podcast obviously andrew's picked the quietest people that aren't used to talking in public exactly yeah
0: exactly (laughs) well I'll tell you what I'll do, some ta- I'll do some talking for a minute and, and I'm sure that everybody listening who knows me will know that, that that's no no difficulty for me either um, I think it's just <laughs> just worth going through what APO is doing at the moment because obviously as I mentioned we've not come together in person for one uh, well, nearly a year now in fact the last thing that we did was on the 1st of March so not quite a year ago uh, when we had one of our string workshops and um, so for anybody who doesn't know, we have, uh, we, very early on in lockdown we raised over £15,000 to support professional musicians uh, in the form of being able to pay them now for a concert that they'll do later on in Reading Town Hall. And we'll talk a little bit more about that with Chico in, in a minute. Uh, the other stuff that we've done during lockdown during the Covid pandemic is to do some online workshops. So we had some of them in the autumn. Uh, we just finished that program obviously just before Christmas and it's been really successful but really quite a lot of work to get that going and it's of course just never the same. It's not as satisfying as coming together to play in person. But uh, we'll talk a little bit about the lockdown commissions when I talk with uh, Derry in a in a wee bit. But Chico tell us a little bit more about this crowdfunder and what's actually happening with all the dosh that's been raised
2: absolutely so um, and I think uh, for us it was something that we as an orchestra wanted to do to give back to those that support us so we often have professional musicians um, who play as either freelancers or um, have salaried roles with certain orchestras that come and Uh, do workshops with us as sections so whether that be the strings or the brass or or kind of smaller individual instruments Um, and sometimes they may well support and play on our concert days when when we had that uh, when we had a space um, in a particular seat in the orchestra so it was something that was really important for us to raise that money um, and to be able to give through um, I kind of went back to one of my slightly historic roles, which was as an orchestra fixer or an orchestra manager, um, where I would book all the players and um, went out and contacted a whole bunch of musicians, which has been wonderful to sort of connect with them and to hear how they are interpreting the support that we're giving to them. And it's made, um, whilst it's not a huge amount of money um for each individual player right now <coughs> it's something that will um grow because of the way the financial structure works we're kind of giving a flat fee right now and then on the concert day, um musicians will then get additional fees including their their <coughs> transport paid and um whether they sit up to be a principal or if they have to play more than one instrument that kind of thing um, so, so that's all really, really positive and still have a few gaps uh, in the orchestra uh, to be able to, to book. Um, it has been a little, um, I guess, sad for want of a better word, where we've approached some musicians and they've been um, really happy about the concept but haven't necessarily known whether they can take it on because they don't know at what point when the world um, reopens again whether they'll still be a musician, whether that's they'll terrible, still be living it? in an in an area. And they've had to take on second jobs, you know, as um, care assistants in care homes or, or things like that, um, in a way just purely to financially survive because they have been um, left out by so much of the, the government initiatives, which have been great for some people, but haven't always targeted yeah. um, everyone that's most at need. Yeah, and, and before so. we locked down again, I, I, I had heard you know stories
0: about how musicians who were full-time musicians before the pandemic and have now taken on other jobs which is is actually the case for a lot of musicians already yes uh, that the income they get from music isn't enough in normal times but the the types of jobs that they're having to take on now are such that when they were getting offers of concerts come through or or performances come through then they they were unable to take those performances on because otherwise they would um you know compromise the the availability for their other job and they would need to be available and if they told turn around and said to their manager not i've I've got a concert to do in in my other life as it were then it would mean they wouldn't get sufficient work then to to earn enough for for that week or for that month to live by so it it is really problematic and it it it, is very sad to hear surveys done by the musicians union and the ism and so on which say that a lot of musicians are worried about whether or not they will be able to continue with what has been their vocation, um, and they've spent years training for, and have given pleasure to thousands and thousands of people through doing so. Uh, it's it's a real shame, and I I I think that uh, we we are doing our all we can uh, as a s- small amateur orchestra to show solidarity with those musicians who, as you say, come and support us. Uh, and what we do in terms of music making and and means so much to us one other group that we've um, always supported are young composers one of the composers that we've commissioned in the last few years is Derry Lewis who finished his studies at the Royal Welsh College of Music and Drama last year and he's been commissioned recently to write a uh, piece for APO which is a full orchestral piece which we performed uh, after lockdown is lifted and we are all able to come together again. Uh, but we've also commissioned him to arrange that piece for Chamber Forces. And so I caught up with him earlier this week to ask him about his life as a composer during lockdown and how he's getting on and what he's done for us. Derry, thanks so much for joining us. Uh, we, we know that you've been associated with APO for a long time. We'll get into the backstory of that for anybody who doesn't know that in a minute or two. But just for the moment, tell us what you've been up to from a, a composer's perspective.
3: Well, I've just finished a wonderful project with the Corvus Consort, who are a young vocal group. And the project was called Twelve Composers Composing. So it was a sort of 12 Days of Christmas reimagined. And the the consort commissioned 12 new pieces, each of which were to be released from Christmas Day going forward through to Twelfth Night. And each of the composers was given one of the constituent lyrics from that famous song. Uh-huh. So I was 11 pipers piping. Um, that's all I had to go on. I think that's not um, a bad one, though, is
0: it? It could be worse. I think there are worse days that you could have got.
3: <laughs> I really enjoyed, um, actually, um, the way that it worked is all the composers got to pick on a little survey which one they wanted uh-huh. and... I thought that I'd left it till the last minute and I thought that all the good ones would be gone. And then I saw that 11 Pipers Piping and 12 Drummer's Drumming were still there at the end of it. I didn't want the pressure of going last and having number 12. So I thought 11 Pipers Piping was quite a good position to be in. Perfect. And um, I, I did a little bit of um, research into the history of that specific lyric because I assumed it was trumpets. But some scholars um, say that it's actually bagpipes.
0: Ah, good old double reads. That's what we like to hear. <laughs>
3: um, so that was it um, to raise money for the Crisis UK Christmas Appeal. And we've raised £3,000. Um, wow. And the, the link is still up. So I'm sure on the, the website for this podcast... It'll be okay to put in a link as Absolutely. long
0: as it's still open. Absolutely. No, no. it, it, anybody who's listening by the APO website, go to the post where you found the podcast, and you will find a link. Good. So that <laughs> sounds that sounds really interesting, um, and a lot of fun actually. It must be good to work with other composers and have that little bit of human contact at this time, <laughs> although not in person, obviously. But you know, just just to. to uh, did you know all of the composers, or, or were some of them new to you?
3: I knew quite a lot of them. Um, some of them were, were new to me just because uh, Freddie, who's the artistic director of the consort, was very keen to have as wide a reach as possible. So he wasn't just commissioning composers that were sort of in the classical realm. There were also some jazz composers there as well, um, who brought something very special to the project. We had sort of as close to a um, a social, Um, we had sort of a group rehearsal on Zoom where some of the composers were there, all of the choir were there, and we just got to speak about the the pieces and share our experiences and then sort of watch everyone miming as they put themselves on mute and then actually rehearsed the thing as well. So it was wonderful to connect with uh, new people. The choir was all all completely new to me Um, and then also to be with composers that I know as well.
0: Perfect. And... I'm right in saying that you completed your studies at the Royal Welsh College of Music and Drama last summer.
3: Yes, I had I had a Zoom graduation. We graduated actually over Zoom. (laughs) Um, We all dressed up anyway in my front room and and watched the ceremony. But yeah, that was probably the biggest thing I did last year was I graduated finally. And it seemed very full circle when you contacted me about writing a new piece for APO because my journey with APO started initially the year before I was at university so it all sort of came together again
0: brilliant and have you gone on to other studies now or are you just freelance no
3: i'm i'm in the big wide world um the the thing that won't be named sort of got in the way of any um further studies or sort of um 9 to 5 office jobs so i'm enjoying the gap year that I never had.
0: So you mentioned that you got involved with APO the year before you went to university. Um, Of course I know the answer to this question but people who are listening won't necessarily know how you came across us. So tell us how we got to know you.
3: Well initially I was very keen to have some sort of contact or experience with a local orchestra because it's just something that I'd never done. I came to Um, performing music within a group quite late in my musical journey. Most of it was quite um, isolated as a pianist. And so I got in touch with the orchestra and said, can I do anything to help you? Um, And so I I turned up and folded programmes. And I think I took a register once uh, for a rehearsal, which is very nerve wracking. Um, I, I think I did Periscope as well for you. Um, during a rehearsal, you were keen to share it live on Twitter. And then um, at one of the concerts, where I think I was just manning the door, you ran up to me and said, Will will you man the sound desk? Can you read a score? Um, that was for the, the Peer Gint, the full um, incidental music. And sort of with a, a moment's notice, I was up on the stage hiding behind the big timpani with a, a score and a mixing desk. And I was Um, doing that for the first time so it was sort of diving in at the deep end.
0: I really did throw you right in at the deep end there because it merits perhaps a slightly fuller explanation. We had two narrators who were fantastic public speakers from Reading Bluecoat School who've been such great supporters of APO over the years and they were narrating a script written by one of the APO members who wishes to remain anonymous but Goodness knows why, because it was the most brilliant, hilarious, moving narration you could ever hear to Pierre Gint. Um, And they had two microphones on either side of the stage set up. And because the music, nearby instruments like the horns and the trumpets, they would sort of bleed into the microphones if they weren't faded down. I needed somebody who could keep up with the score, keep up with the narration, fade up the correct mics at the right time and so on. And I hadn't thought of anybody to do that. So at the general rehearsal,
3: I just went, Derry, you can read music. Here you go. (laughs) (laughs) And I think this was at a time in GCSE music, um, the course that I took, we didn't really have to read scores. So I was only sort of, you know, six months into actually having to look at a a score and follow along all of those stays rather than just the right hand and left hand of the piano that I was used to. So it was really quite scary.
0: (laughs) And I had no idea, I don't think I had any idea at that stage that you were a budding composer. Um, a budding composer sounds a bit odd, doesn't it? A composer. Um, and I <laughs> I, I don't know when I realised this, but that led to us commissioning you for a piece in 2017. I, don't, I think the commission may have been 2016 for a performance in 2017 which was for our route to the river event. So what piece did you write for us then?
3: So I was inspired by uh, the view from the Reading Station concourse, which looked out in the general direction of the Thames. And the name actually came from just my notes. I knew I wanted to write a piece about the river and I just scribbled down river image quite crudely um, as a, a sketch title and that's how i started referring to it with my teacher and then one day my teacher said to me uh, what's the actual title for this piece and i said i think i've i've grown quite fond of river image so that piece was um in its original form um it had a very dramatic open to catch the attention of the public as they drew by and then it sort of melted into a much more lyrical Uh, evocation of the the meanders of the river and then those two ideas sort of collided together into the finale.
0: space of the north side of what's known as the transfer deck, the enormous footbridge at Reading Station, which actually is an area, despite the noises off, which has a fantastic acoustic, has to be said. But I had always promised you and Alice Knight, who was the other composer we commissioned for that event, that we would give a concert performance of those works that we commissioned. Um, but you had to wait quite a long time because that was in October 2019, and. You said that you would slightly revise the piece, and I think slightly revise is, is possibly generous because it, it, it was quite a different work when I got a hold of it after you'd had a go
3: at it, wasn't it? I think it was a, a wonderful ex- like experience or opportunity for me to take those building blocks that I'd suggested, which then was in my first year as a composer. And then to come back to that two or three years later, um, initially, I honestly did plan just to sort of tidy it up (laughs) and clean up the edges. But what happened in the end was the exact same material, but just treated in a different way. And I think um, the way that I treated the orchestra in the first version of the piece was sort of like a kid in a sweet shop. I was grabbing at every single sound available and mixing them all together so it's not a rainbow of colours, it was just slightly more muddy and so the resulting version of River Image which was done in 2019 was sort of a distillation of of those ideas that become much clearer to the audience and the journey of the shape of the river becomes much more apparent and I think much more interesting.
0: really enjoyed performing the original piece but I have to say the revised version is something else entirely um it was just as a conductor it was so much easier like you say for me to navigate the structure of the work um to find a way through it it complemented the other pieces in the program so well so we performed Shostakovich's 10th symphony in the second half it was brilliant um and obviously that sort of cemented your um reputation as one of our young composers that we sort of turn to when we have a project up our sleeve. And that's why I, I turned to you towards the end of last year when I had an idea for some lockdown commissions, effectively. So we commissioned uh, professional arranger Samara Ginsberg to do an arrangement of the Maya Faust Overture for flexibly scored sextet. And Uh, And then I also asked you if you'd be interested in composing a work for full orchestra that we could eventually perform in a normal concert whenever normality returns. But there was also a very challenging element to the brief around a flexibly scored version and some other pieces as well. So tell us about that, because you've literally just delivered the score and parts, or scores and parts, I should say, and we're just beginning to get our teeth into that now as we plan a return to normality we hope later in the year.
3: Well I was so delighted when you asked me to write a new piece and immediately I had lots of different ideas. I know that a lot of composers you know like every other artist or performer sort of felt very isolated surrounded by the same four walls and so any chance to be creative, was sort of like fireworks going off I had way too many ideas and my instinct was to let those ideas ruminate and cook a little bit and leave writing the piece until a little bit later when the dust had sort of settled and it wasn't really until I can't remember when it was but it was quite late into the year in 2020 when the orchestra when you had shared the news that the piece was going to be written and you had quite an emotional response I think you were sharing it live on Facebook mm. and seeing that emotional response sort of solidified to me that this piece needs to be something joyful something hopeful and something that celebrates the the feeling of coming together with a group of performers or artists or um you know, sports teams, anything like that where we come together and it's it's about that experience. So uh the piece is called Joy, a very simple title. Um In quite a big shadow, there's uh another piece you might have heard of, um, Ode to Joy. Um I really have not, not heard of that. One. In... Yeah. <laughs> um it's a couple of years old, you know. Um <laughs> And so this this piece, Joy, is sort of an ode to community music because it's it's the lifeblood of so much of artistic activity, not just in this country, but around the world. And it's that sort of excitement, anticipation of rehearsing, performing, listening, organising, everything that goes into a concert that I wanted to capture in this piece, Joy.
0: And of course, at the moment, none of that can happen. Um, We can't come together to play. We can't put on concerts. We're recording this in early January 2021, uh, when it looks like lockdown is just about to get even more stringent. So part of the brief was to produce a flexibly scored version for Sextet so that you can take, within reason, any combination of instruments and instrumentalists, and when we're allowed to play together again in groups of 6 we can throw ensembles together fairly easily and everybody can take a part so you need you need a rough spread of bass to treble um to cover those parts but also right now all we can do is play by ourselves and uh, there was an element of the commission which relates to that as well tell us about that
3: so um after the orchestral piece was completed then i had to boil it down into these six parts that you've mentioned and for a composer that's sort of going against the instinct we're taught to make every instrumental part very specific towards each instrument you know a a part that's written for the oboe shouldn't feel like it's written for anything else it's very intrinsic into the way that music sort of um from the late 1800s onwards has been written and so to write something that's I I think I described it as like instrumentally neutral was quite a challenge so it took a lot of listening and a lot of just looking at the basic building blocks of the orchestral piece and discover I, I had to sort of think about what is the most essential element that you hear and how do I distill that into six parts
0: that's a really different um, compositional challenge, isn't it? I mean, has it been a useful exercise to have to sort of think in that way slightly differently?
3: It It is a very useful challenge because it's like having a, a bird's eye view of the structure and of the, each line that's going on. A lot of the parts in this chamber version are sort of um, the combination of two or three instruments that are you know, sometimes travelling in different directions, sometimes completely different ranges. And um, it really is quite challenging to take a step back from my music as a composer and look at it as an arranger. But it's, it's a constant interplay between those two roles that I've really enjoyed. And it's made me think about my own music quite differently since.
0: I bet. And then going back to what I was saying before about the the extra element of the commission for solo instruments, what's that all about?
3: So you also asked for some solo pieces that are inspired by, I think you said, textures, and that was my main sort of inspiration. Um, so I I took out three ideas, basically, from the orchestral piece, and I sort of imagined them as um, threads that I'm then sort of spinning out. So the first piece is called Fanfares, and it's inspired by this quite simple gesture. It's sort of like, um, if you imagine a swell of sound that pops at the end, which is quite um, a big part of the orchestral piece. And so that becomes the the essence of that first piece. Then the middle uh, solo piece is called Surfaces, and that's sort of like the slow movement of the set. In the orchestral piece, there's this sort of warbling woodwind figure, which just sort of bubbles away
0: And
3: the third miniature? The third miniature is called Lights, and it's not really inspired by material specifically from the piece, but it's inspired by the gesture and the drama of um, silence or near silence, and then a very loud outburst. So it's um, a little bit tongue in cheek. Um, It's very fun to play. And I think it sort of rounds up the three quite nicely. They're packaged together almost like a, a, a miniature sonata.
0: Yeah, and actually the, they remind me of the sort of miniature versions of something like, uh, speaking as an oboist, something like Britain's Six Metamorphoses after Ovid. They 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 look like they work perfectly. And I've got, you've actually said to the players in your kind of introduction to the pieces that they can almost treat this as a kind of uh, a springboard for improvisation. They can, they can play with it. So obviously, players will play it on their instruments, and that will sound different in itself. But you've actually encouraged a lot of creativity from the A.P.A. players when they're, when they're play when they're learning these pieces, haven't you?
3: There's sort of um, when you think about the big composers, Mozart, Beethoven, these sort of great, genius figures, um, from a historical point of view. There's the idea that what is written on the page is final, it's absolute, it's concrete, and that any deviation from that is wrong. And I really want to challenge that idea that the composer is the be all and end all because without the performance of the music, the composer's work is nothing. And with these pieces, especially, I really want to encourage curiosity or playfulness with the material, as if to say, it's my offering to you. Here's what I've given. Now give something of yourself. Make the pieces your own. Paint it, you know, in your own hand.
0: So that was Derry Lewis, who I talked to earlier in the week, and I can't wait to get stuck into the chamber arrangements when we're allowed to come together and play again in person. Uh, and I have already started looking at those miniatures uh, on the oboe. Got some funky ideas. As to ways I can record them, do some uh, funky stereo effects, maybe a bit of, add a bit of artificial reverb in places, and uh, have a play with them, and experiment with them. I don't know if you, uh, Chico and Helen, have had a Sounds chance. Sounds like to look we're on. going
1: to have electric oboe next. <laughs> yeah, I've I've started to look as well. I uh, haven't thought about recording yet. I'll be honest, but uh, yeah, printed it out and gone through it. I just think it's such a good idea. Andrew, that the APOs commission something that's flexible because in lockdown we can't. Play live online because of the synchronization issue, but we've played together through listening to a recording. And to be able to do this and all record and bring something together replicates the sense of community that we're all missing. So I'm really grateful. It's really nice to have something to get your teeth into.
2: Brilliant. Chico, have you had a look at I'm Yeah, no, I've, I have. I've uh, had a really good look at the structure of the miniatures and I'm actually really excited by them. Um, I'm not someone who likes. Uh, overtly playing solo stuff but this doesn't feel like solo stuff it, it's quite a, uh, a a nice feel so i'm quite excited to to get my violin out and be able to have a look at those pieces but i think especially because i've uh, played one of Derry's pieces um, whilst being at APO um, i just think he's such a natural composer um, in terms of the way he writes for so many different instruments, so it's going to be really exciting. So now that, let's
0: finish by looking back at a fond memory. Um, and Helen, I sent you the challenge in advance, so I didn't have to put <laughs> didn't have to put you on the spot for, to name your favourite APO memory.
1: Now this is really really tough because I've got lots of favourite APO memories, lots in terms of the programming and lots in terms of your good self, Andrew, wearing a moustache and a Mexican hat or dancing so much you fall off the podium in rehearsal. There's lots of good memories like that, but I'm going to stick to programming for now. I've Thank narrowed you. it down to three. <laughs> narrowed it down to three. Well, I'll never forget the moustache one because the whole brass section was so Humoured You did it one week. We ordered some online and the next week we'd all set up turning away, put them on, and it took you eight bars to figure out your entire brass section was wearing a moustache.
2: That's, that's because I try not <laughs> to have a look picture at you. Of it. I find it easier not to look at you. <laughs> Which is quite a worry. The... It
1: is, it is. I think that says more about the disruptive nature of the brass section than it does about Andrew. The
2: observance of our conduction. <laughs> exactly. Orchestral dynamics coming oh, no, that, to the fore here.
1: That's sort of a favourite humorous moment, but musically, to be a bit more serious... The last concert that we did for the 1st of February is one of them, the Planet Suite. I love the Planet Suite. It's one of the first pieces I really knew was a trumpet player. And it's one of the first pieces I actually sat in an orchestra right down the line in the brass section learning when you, you, you start to work up the ranks. But because it, it was so varied and we did three versions, which no sane orchestra would normally play it three times a day. But of course, we're impassioned. Therefore, we're slightly beyond uh, that. And it was just such a thrill, one of the best experiences I've had as a musician. Um, So that's up there, but for similar reasons of access to a wider audience pictures at our exhibition where you commissioned young composers, a series of young composers, to write music Uh, in response to paintings at Jelly Studios in Reading where they were supported and mentored by a composer. That was special for a number of reasons. As you've already said, Alice Knight was only 12 as the youngest composer. But bringing so many together to work together to create one piece that was ours, our orchestras doing this, and being able to perform where the studio had allowed the paintings to be brought to the concert hall. So it was almost an installation piece. Just was thrilling for me. And I ended up using it in... um, a chapter I was writing about access to music because I was so thrilled by it. As you know, I wanted to write it up so other people could hear it and read what was online on the website. So that is really, really special to me. But the third one, just because why not? We're well, wacky. Let's play on the uh, exchange of Reading Train Station, and we've done that twice, as you know. But it was the first one route to the river in twenty seventeen. So I mean, all these my free throws are quite close because Pictures at Our Exhibition was twenty sixteen. The Reading Station reached through for 2017, and then obviously The Planets was 2020, so I'm, I'm aware I'm picking more recent uh, events, but I feel we've we've gone to be more experimental and actively more uh, looking outwards, probably with the cuts to music education, the cuts to concert halls, to make sure we're taking music out rather than expecting audience to come to us. So I've picked those three, Andrew.
0: Well, that's very nice, Helen, and, and it's nice that you picked three, <laughs> But I think you'll find I asked you to pick one. So I'm going to press you. I'm going to press you to, (laughs) to decide which of those is your favourite APO memory. Come on, put you on the spot now.
1: It's tough. I think because of what it meant to the audience and the feedback, I'm going to go for pictures at our exhibition in 2016. members there that had come to watch I had some students there, some ex-students and some colleagues and they were all very taken with the quality of the music particularly written by people so young. There was uh, performance students that were postgrads that I teach would take with the quality of the performance. I think when I'd said amateur orchestra they were expecting something else and they said so it felt like a professional concert to them which was great but more than that it, it comes back to Alice Knight. I mean she's an amazing composer for someone that was so young achieving what she did was fantastic.
2: be really cheeky and jumping because i know that you haven't asked me this question but i would i would love to answer it and and be able to take one of the other well, concepts that's all we've got that <laughs> thanks very much on there uh, for, for joining <laughs>
3: us <laughs> go so, on then
2: so i would i i would like to take apo uh, planets and the reason for that is uh again like helen that it's not just one particular thing The fact that as an amateur orchestra, we were able to perform to an audience more than once was hugely satisfying. Um, Amateur orchestras never get to do that. You either work for a project or you work at weekly rehearsals. You do one performance and that's it. Doing three in a day was fantastic. And exhausting. (laughs) And exhausting. Um, But um, I I think there was also an element of the fact that we actually targeted our um, audience to to kind of enjoy this in whatever way they wanted to. So the first two concerts were what we classed as relaxed performances where we specifically encouraged people that wouldn't normally feel comfortable to come to a concert hall to participate. Um, So that was people with autistic spectrum disorder conditions, people with sensory or um, other learning disabilities. Um, I had the extreme privilege of leading that orchestra and I remember Um, still very clearly to this day um, on the four o'clock performance there was a young boy in the front row who was a wheelchair user with cerebral palsy Um, he didn't use words to communicate but actually seeing the way that he was living through the music was absolutely phenomenal Um, and he I, I remember going up to him at the end of the concert with his mum and saying thanks so much for coming did you enjoy it and he just gave me the biggest beaming smile and a thumbs up, um, which was really, really magical. Um, But also just seeing other parents um, with with their children being able to come to a concert, and they weren't worried about the kids making noise or or anything like that. There were kids running around. It was a very different playing experience for us as musicians to not be in a completely silent, sterile environment. Um, But it was one that was really enjoyable in terms of that shift.
0: No, no, it's very. I'm not going to tell everybody what my favourite APO memory is because, uh, well, we'll save that one for a future podcast, and it kind of changes every day anyway. So there's no point in that. We
1: should save it for a charity event where we can all uh, bid for getting your top three favourite performances.
0: I don't, I don't think anybody would buy that. No, but... yeah, I <laughs> don't, don't think know. I would.
1: Depends. <laughs> I, 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 th- I think the brass section would bid to pay for the repeat of the moustache and the hat in a performance, not just in rehearsal, or some of those where you sing the entire piece through in rehearsal, so we hear Andrew entire, trying to emulate the violins to the oboe to the trumpets, I mean that is just, so it's so much fun, I often sit there laughing so much, I have pain in my ribs what? and then we get told off for not being able to play it when the beat comes down because we're still laughing, it's so much fun yeah. but I'd
0: pay for that, well, I think pe- in public. most most people would
2: pay for me not <laughs> (laughs) to sing uh, (laughs) frankly um. I am one of those people (laughs) I think it was I think it was when we were doing um, Scheherazade by Ravel um, with a wonderful uh, singer called Karen Spate, who wasn't at all of our rehearsals so Andrew decided to quite often fill in her part (laughs) um, vocally and we were just like no can you just stop because I can't fill in the part vocally
1: but also trying to emulate movements yeah. as well it was Absolutely. fantastic although one of my favorite andrew moments as we call them affectionately, was the end <laughs> of pro you're going to tell me what it was now because can't remember. and you we, you were holding the card and you screamed come on
0: yeah i have was it no memory COVID? of that it was just it was shostakovich leningrad <laughs> symphony in the concert hall and um yeah we held the last note for it frankly a bit longer than we ought to have done um <laughs> and i i do remember sort of trying to give it a bit more oomph for the very final part of the chord which is very loud anyway and you know sort of grabbing my stick in my left hand and and then thrusting a fist out but I have no memory I remember doing it in rehearsal but apparently it's so the chord was so loud that nobody could hear it apart from the front desk but everybody could see me saying
2: come on
0: and I have no memory of doing that whatsoever so taken
2: with the moment was I. Um, I love how this podcast has taken a massive turn in terms of let's talk <laughs> about all the things that APA are doing to our favourite Andrew memories
1: well it's good because the listeners uh, might not unless you're a player you won't see Andrew in the perspective we do you normally see the back of Andrew so we're giving you the tidbits like the hidden bit behind the scenes
0: well, I'm talking... kind of jealous of the audience Yeah, yeah. <laughs> talking of seeing the <laughs> back of Andrew we'll, we'll end it there uh, and um, of course, the, the beautiful thing about this is that I can edit the podcast as well. So who knows how
2: much of what you just said will actually make we'll it know, We'll podcast. know,
1: we'll know. We'll
2: yeah. know. It, it will be a wash on social media that we've been censored, Andrew. <laughs> yes.
1: Cancelled, cancelled.
2: And on that note, we'll say thanks to Helen
0: and Chico for joining us and of course Derry from earlier in the podcast. And we'll be back next month with a couple of other guests, perhaps... Those who are slightly less willing to talk about my antics
2: in in rehearsal. It's alright,
1: we'll prime them, Andrew. We'll
2: prime them. uh, I don't think you'll find any that are willing to hold back on that. (laughs) Okay, well, I'm sure I can find some if I pay them enough money.
0: (laughs) So we'll, uh, we'll be back next month with some more APA news for the moment. Bye bye.